Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip Chantry. And uh, Kahuna behind the board. Kahuna, it's been a little while since we've seen you. It's nice to have you back. It's always a pleasure to be here. Come on. Your your boss, for a guy that runs a podcast studio, is is like the strong, silent type. Yeah. Ming just kind of does his thing. (laughs) Um, Let's get right into it. I'm so excited for our guest today. Um, Our guest uh, is, from what I've been told, an enormous rock fan. And um, you can also see her every night on her own show on News Nation, Banfield. Uh, We have the host with us. Welcome, Ashley Banfield. Hey, how are you? Very good. Thank you. This is so nice. So I've I've done your show a few times. So uh, thank you so much for returning the favor. I love when you're on and I don't know where it comes from. I wish I had your speed and skill with, you know, zippy comments. I don't. I was just not born with that gene. <laughs> very jealous of people like you who are. Um, well, that's uh, that's nice of you to say. It's it's not an easy. You know what I like about doing your show is it's not um, it's a bit of a challenge, which which I love because you do every Friday night uh, you do. Um, your last your last segment is like a lighter side of the news mm-hmm. where where you bring in a com- uh, panel of comedians. And uh, sometimes you have to follow some pretty somber news. Uh, it's a turnaround. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went from uh, I, I remember coming on once and, and the lead in before me was um, like the condo collapse in Florida. Oh, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. That would have been a terrible transition. No, but it's 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 uh, it's good. It gets you it gets you working twice as hard. Ashley, do you have any words of wisdom as because I'm sure you have to deal with that constantly. And I'm sure it it has to deal with the order of stories that you do. But how do you pivot from one story like that to another something that's lighter? I frankly, a lot of it is pre-planned. Uh, we're we're acutely aware of trying to 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 make you know really uncomfortable transitions, so we avoid them at all costs. But breaking news, you know, is anybody's guess. Sure. But after 34 years of doing this, if I can't pull that off now, I'm not worth my weight in salt, <laughs> and that's a lot of salt. So, um, you know, I think the most important thing is the authenticity, right? As we speak just now. We can make transitions too. In in human nature, we have figured that out so as not to be awkward, uncomfortable, or offensive. Mm-hmm. And that's just the same thing it should be on television. And if en- anyone is sort of, uh, you know, ha- uh, hemmed in by the production, um, they need to break free of that and be human and natural, and 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 let the normal, you know, um, you know, the normal emotions kind of play out. And and so if I actually find it really easy, believe it or not. You just be Ashley and and the way I would if I were at a cocktail party, as yeah. opposed to standing in a very strange, unnatural studio with bright lights and a countdown in my ear. That that makes a lot of sense too. And then you know, and, and that that goes along with with stand-up too, like what we do where it's where the more you are on stage like you are off stage, the better you are, the more natural it is. Like you're you're performing for five hundred people. It's like you make it like you're at a cocktail party in front of five. So yeah. yeah, that's that's always been sort of my my modus operandi is um, I'll be honest with you in the 90s. I just thought I stank, you know, as a broadcaster, I thought no one's going to believe me. I'm in my 20s. And what do I know? And I'm going to try to pretend to be, you know, 
Tony Chung or something, they're going to see right through me. So I figured the other alternative was I better just be me because no one else is doing that. So mm -hmm. um, that's what I chose and that's what I stuck with. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, t I told my mom we were interviewing you and um, oh, what did she say that made me? She was like, I, I understood what she was saying, but the way she worded it was funny. She was like, oh, I loved her from 9-11. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And that, that might be one of the most authentic, uh, you know, broadcasts I've ever done yeah. because I was shit scared. Um, I love when people say I'm brave. <laughs> like, yeah, not in the least. On that day, I was just, an apocalypse had just befallen us. Yeah, and I was really, sure. really scared. And so I'm sure a lot of that kind of came out. But, um, and I was worried about the histrionics, of course. Right. Well, this was a pretty um, horrendous uh, event and it needed to be told as purely as possible. But but I do get a lot of people saying that and I, I understand exactly what they mean. I think they felt they had an eye uh, to, uh, you know, an event that was very difficult to chronicle because no one was there. I mean, most people had run away. They were the smart ones. Right. Um, some of us had run in. And so we were able to, through the miracles of technology, show them and Show them the sights and sounds, uh, as awful as they were. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat. Um, <laughs> so we we heard, I don't know if this is true, but I, I got some inside information that you used to be a lead singer in a rock band. Yes, not just one. Uh, quite a few, actually. Um not a good one, you know. <laughs> I mean, let me give you an example of the name of the band in college yeah. that I'm the lead singer of. It was called All Over the Rug. So, yes, that will give you a pretty clear uh, primer on how talented and skilled we were. It's all covers, bar band, you know, just a super uh, amount of fun. But yeah, and then after college, I was in a couple of media bands as well. Doug Flutie was the drummer in one of my bands in Calgary. Oh, that's uh, so funny. For a few gigs, not not as, as regular. Um, mm. And then in Dallas, Texas, uh, I was in uh, a band as well. And um, yeah, so it has always just been a really fun hobby. I never took a dime for it. Every band I was always in, I let the guys always divvy up whatever we were paid for our gigs. Um, but I always really maintained it as a hobby. And if anyone ever asked, I would say it's not my you know night job. It really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Did, Were you musical growing up? Did you sing or always. play instruments growing up? Yeah. Always. Uh, we had a piano, um, and my dad was this insane New Orleans jazz musician. Uh, not from New Orleans, he was from Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. So go figure. But um, the man had fingers that could hit 50 keys at once. Don't know how, but he did it. And so I grew up going to sleep. I shared a room with my sister. My two brothers shared a room. And I grew up going to sleep with these raucous parties going on around the piano downstairs. And my, my parents' friends would have washboards and tambourines and like pots and pans. And, um, and I remember the house kind of shaking to this phenomenal music all by ear. And that was my dad. But my mom would also sit at the keyboard with him and like try to keep up. And she was pretty skilled as well. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of thought that was normal. And I now know how lucky I was to have that, you know. So, yeah, I was just super musical and, and I was precocious and obnoxious and did every musical at the school and played all the male parts because my voice is so low and I went to a girl's school and so I was Fagin and Pharaoh and all these you know uh male leads 
And yeah, so that's kind of where my musical roots came from. Oh, that's great. Did did you have uh, aspirations of making it a career or yeah. it was, yeah. Totally. And in fact, I remember two specific things that aunts and uncles and anybody who would, you know, want to say something funny would say. One was um, she's headed for Broadway, folks. That's it. This girl's going to Broadway from Winnipeg. <laughs> and then the other one is you're going to be the next Connie Chung. So I thought that was Atlas. Come here. And he's trying to be a part of this as well. My whole family tries to get in on the game. But, but yeah, so it, I remember well um, these two competing, you know, pieces of my DNA uh, making themselves really heard on a regular basis from the age of like four. <laughs> how so? I it's I can picture how someone can see. Oh, she she's going to Broadway or she's going to be a musician. But what? What were you doing that had people thinking like maybe, oh, maybe the next Connie Chung? You know, I just couldn't stop telling stories and so wanted to be heard. And that might have been because I was the youngest of four loud people, four, four loud siblings. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I just kind of commanded a room and insisted people listen to me from a very young age. And again, that's obnoxious and precocious and teachers effing hate it, <laughs> but it was not going to stop no matter how many chastenings or hallway visits I got as a kid. Um, it, you know, just some people are born to talk and sometimes too much, but sometimes it can pay you well. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how far, how far did you make it in music? And how do you make the transition from music to journalism? So, you know, I, I have to be honest, I don't think I ever truly believed I was going to make it as a performer. Mm -hmm. And the the little voice in the back of my head was like the, the financial guru that my brother became. And it was the road to riches is paved with people who thought they were great performers and they were, and they couldn't make it for whatever reason, because it's not a meritocracy always. Right. So pragmatically speaking, I think I just said, hell with that. I'm not taking the risk. I, I know I'm good and probably not that good, but I know I could make it because lots of people who are kind of good make it, but it's too much of a gamble. And I thought, you know, you've got super great education behind you. Um, you have an, you know, super inquisitive nature. Um, you have a love of current events and language and culture. And um, then I can speak a few languages. So I thought, yeah, that that's a pretty good metric for building a formula where the meritocracy will kick in and I can be successful as long as I work hard. It won't be some random piece of, you know, uh, weird karma that knocks me out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Um you said that you were uh, you said that you were in uh, cover bands. What, mm. what were what were your favorite songs to sing? So, I mean, tons of stuff. And like we're going back two decades now. So and I'm super uh, forgetful and, and stupid to start with. So um, one of my favorite artists was Janis Joplin uh, to cover because I mean, I don't have to say why. I mean, she's just it's an obvious um, Bobby McGee was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. It was real hard at the end. <laughs> of course. That was one of the toughest ones, especially after, you know, being in the bar for a while and having a few cocktails. But um, did Stones, um, did, you know, did Jethro Tull. I mean, did, did lots of really cool 70s music mostly. And then, you know, getting into the 80s and 90s, 
uh, Cowboy Junkies, a couple of things like that. You know, um, Alanis Morissette loved. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we we just sort of pick kind of random, you know. Mm-hmm. And besides your besides your dad listening to your parents growing up, who who were some of those first artists or bands that that you were super aware of? Well, the sweatshirt, first of all, uh, you know that you've got on right now. Oh, just I mean, and it you know today remains one of my faves. And Thunderstruck's one of my favorite songs of all time too. Um, but I would say you know Nazareth. That was a funny enough. Mm-hmm. That was a big one uh, mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, Eagles were big. Joe Walsh, um, Super Tramp was a big one. Uh, my favorite album of all time is um, Crime of the Century. Um, and most people are like, what? Super Tramp? Maybe it was big in Canada. I don't yeah. know. But, and another uh, band I really liked uh, was The Monks, which I don't think got big in the US, but it was super big in, in Canada. Um, and I mean, gosh, in the 80s, Split Ends, that was another one I really liked. These are all like the really k- kind of kooky, crazy ones. Sure. Um, but early on, um, Alan Parsons project really loved that. Um, silly Dan mm-hmm. grew up on that, you know, I did like super eclectic, right. Uh, you know, I guess my brother was the album buyer cause he was six years older than me and he would buy all these great albums. And I would have the benefit of just sitting there listening to them and reading record jackets. Cause sitting on the floor and reading record jackets was, was like, wasn't hours. that the best. Yeah. I used to do that. Yeah. I had the same. My brother's also six years older. And he was the uh, he would buy all the albums, and then I would just go steal away in his room for hours on end, doing the same exact thing. I feel like I feel like I'm my grandmother when I say this shit, right? Because <laughs> I mean, sitting on the floor with the record player and reading the <laughs> record jacket, my kids look at me again like I looked at my grandmother, like you're adorable, and I think you're pre-war. <laughs> 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 there there was I mean there was something to like there's something to be said for technology and having a, a streaming service where you know you can literally go find just about any song that's ever been recorded right at your fingertips um but you lose you lose um you lose the artwork you lose the liner notes you lose all of that stuff that you used to digest that would that would make you a fan of that band and 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 it would i mean before social media it it was just um the only thing you knew about these bands were what was written on those albums and you know occasionally they'd give an interview to rolling stone that you would read and that that was it that was all you knew about them and And that was also nice (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I, i was just gonna say that yeah no and you also had as much as I do enjoy having the streaming services, you had a stake in that band or that artist. You had ownership in it. So if I had every REM album, I felt like I could be the biggest REM fan because I had the, I, I used my after school job money to prove it. And I had stock in that band. I felt like that, that people don't have that ownership anymore. You know, that you mentioned something earlier about digesting and I have to be honest with you. It's something we don't do now. We don't digest. We don't digest anything. We don't digest culture, music, news. We don't digest um, uh, the things we even like. We don't even digest our food before we're piling something else in there. And I think those hours that I would spend on the floor with the record jacket listening to the whole album mm-hmm. is meditative. Right. Mm-hmm. It's probably why I remember the lyrics to all those Super Trap songs. It's probably why I remember the lyrics to 
Um, even the Mills Brothers, that was one of my dad's um, faves and it would play, the eight track would play in the car nonstop. But I can I can sing every single song um, and the Mills Brothers greatest hits, right? And whenever that comes over a, you know, uh, an audio system anywhere, people are shocked that I know it. And it's like, <laughs> not only do I know it, I know every word. But it was that really beautiful contemplative behavior when we were younger that um, I miss terribly right now, you know? And do you also remember guys how we made mixtapes? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but I made them off the radio. Yep. So you'd like clip part of the DJ on the in and out. With, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, that, and now when you hear the song, you can hear that DJ's last few words and stuff. But the the mixtapes we thought were so innovative. And, um, and I also remember not appreciating those songs as much because I overconsumed them and began to have too much say in how, when, and how often I would consume them. And so the specialness went away a little bit and the I got sick of it factor started popping in. Mm -hmm. And so those days in the seventies remain kind of like untouchable because of that. Right, yeah, and that's a good point. And it was also like when you were listening on vinyl, it was kind of a pain in the ass to fast forward. So you would just listen front to back yeah and we didn't really think about fast forwarding like we we didn't really think about going over to the turntable and lifting the needle and then trying to replace it because my brother would hit me in the head you know like if I was walking yo that needle's dangerous it's gonna wreck it and then of course they'd always have scratches so now certain songs I can hear in my head I remember when um when that uh when Aerosmith and Run DMC did Walk This Way and my, uh-huh. bro- my brother had that on vinyl and he was pretending to scratch the record for me where where Run DMC was scratching it so he, scratch? oh, he so he was just putting his hand like over the record uh-huh. and moved yeah and then I was like oh my god my brother learned how to how did, scratch how did records <laughs> And then when he left, I was like, well, if he learned, how hard can it be? And then I, tr- and, but then I just, <laughs> I, just I don't know. I just destroyed ruined, a record. I destroyed you know a record. Just you know tell what? me you didn't destroy Toys in the Attic because. Right, um, yeah. That's your that's brother's another one of my favorites of all times. And I can probably sing every lyric on Toys in the Attic too. That is uh, Toys in the, it's funny. I, I was just telling Chip, I, I just finished reading Joe Perry's autobiography. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing. Um, Great. And it made me go back. I haven't listened to Toys in the, I'm, I've been doing this thing where I'm trying to just listen to albums now. If I'm in the car, I'm, I'm not going to just hit shuffle. I'm trying to go back and get myself into that mindset again. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to Toys in the Attic every day for a few weeks. And that that's just as perfect a rock album as oh. I think's ever been made. It's just so great. And I'll tell you what, um, I don't know if you ever went into the CNN studios for any reason, but um, my stage manager at CNN for like five years is a guy named Jay Conroy. And mm-hmm. he had a podcast called Rock Hard with Jay Conroy. Jay looked like Steven Tyler, for starters. And he wore an Aerosmith shirt, jacket, sweatshirt every day of his life. He'd been to over 150, I think, uh, Aerosmith concerts. He was truly the the biggest fan of Aerosmith. And um, and he's one of those guys who I just I bonded with right away. And I regularly c- continue to you know communicate with all the time. 
I would send him little clips of me in the car. If I was driving and Aerosmith came on, I'd record myself lip syncing and then I'd send him the clip of it. You know? <laughs> and he died um, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, like I was profoundly affected by his death, obviously, but somehow like Aerosmith took on a new meaning for me as if it weren't already really special. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I see an Aerosmith logo now and I'm all about Jay and hear a song. And it's like, I still want to send him that damn clip. And uh, it's just, it's incredible how music can change how you feel about people, how, what you think in any given moment um, mood, obviously. Right. But um but it gets you know it really does frame your outlook. Yeah, right. And and it, and the way it brings you, it's almost like a, songs could be a time machine. Mm. Even even songs that I didn't like and still don't like, but they were all over the radio when I was a kid. They come on the radio now. It's it just transports you, and it's press in pocket for me. I freaking <laughs> hated that song, but if I hear it now, I'm like, oh, Chris behind that. You know, like, and I've taken, you know, taken back to like high school dances and it's like, I hated it then, but it's just that transporting back into the nostalgia of your, of your life that is a delicious feeling. That's real hard to do with anything else. Like try, try doing that kind of, you know, uh, teleporting, uh, with any other medium and you can't. Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. I, I think music's the only one. Yeah. It is just such that bond thing, like you were talking about with your friend with Aerosmith. It just, you can definitely pick people, and obviously there's camps, but just that, oh, this person likes it. It's just a, a common ground that I can have. I just had somebody literally who is more of an acquaintance, really good guy, more of an acquaintance, but just every six months, one of us will text the other one and be, he, he did this to me just the other day. He's like, tell me you really love the band Built to Spill, right? And of course I did. And then we texted for two hours about this band Built to Spill and all these other indie rock bands that we like. And we gave each other all of these recommendations. Oh, try this album, do this. And I won't talk to him probably for another year. And then he'll just text me again or I'll text him. But it's just that complete bond that we have over this, these couple of bands. And, and what a two hours that was, right? Was Your it head was... was in a totally different space. Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm excited getting new stuff. I get to share. I mean, that's one of my favorite isn't that the greatest thing in the world to share with somebody like, Hey, check out this band or check out this album. And then they go home and they come back and be like, Oh, you're a genius. Of course, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, Another one of my stage managers said, uh, Oh yeah, you got to hear the song cake by the ocean. Like that sounds like a stupid name. (laughs) (laughs) And now I love that song, even though it's now, you know, gosh, how many years old, but um, but yeah, like it's really fun when somebody just gets you into something that you might not have, you know, crossed paths with otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was watching you interview Paulina Porsakova. I hope I'm pronouncing oh, yeah. that right. I love her. Yes, I was watching. That came through in the interview. And also, thank you, because you're the first person that I've ever heard just ask, like, hey, is it Okasic or Okasic? Right? <laughs> it's, I've been calling him Rick Okasic my entire life. Me too. And but, wait, is it Okasic? It. It's Okasic. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mind yeah. blown. By the way. I don't like when you do interviews with people, um, you know, it's like a a great intimate uh, event. And if you have a good interview, you feel like you're really like bonding and you're Mm -hmm. like, you're having a great conversation as a friend in television. Like when it's over, it's like, they're gone. You know, you you don't really, you don't get to see them ever again, unless you might run into them on a red carpet somewhere or some fancy event, which I never go to. Um, But she's one of them that I become friends with. 
And now we chat all the time and we're like trying to get drinks on the calendar and I'm too busy doing this and she's too busy doing that. And we still can say, okay, what about next weekend? What about next weekend? But she's really a great person. Like just deep down, she's just got it all going on. Yeah. It, well, that came across, it came across in the interview and it, it came across that you were, um, you were definitely responding to that. Um, mm-hmm. But my question is, were, were you, uh, were you a big Cars fan? Huge. Yeah. I think we had every album. Um, and it's so funny because even the obscure Cars songs, uh, I just kind of assume everybody knows them mm-hmm. because I can't delineate what I knew from listening to the albums regularly to what was on the radio. Right. You know, I can't remember. So she said, what, what did she say? She said something was her favorite. And I'm like, what? That doesn't sound right. Gosh, I wish I could remember which one. I'd have to think about it. But um well, but yeah, and, and I was really um, another weird dynamic playing out here. When that story broke of what Rick did to her mm-hmm. in the uh, in dying and leaving, you know, leaving her out of the will completely and leaving her destitute. Um, I didn't know how to process my love of the music like Michael Jackson. Yes. You know, this, R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. I thought, well, fuck. Yeah. You just wrecked everything. Yes, this, you know? that was the exact question I was going to ask. That did does it did it affect your uh, did it affect your love for the band? Is it? Um, I find like for me, separating the art from the artist is super easy if I don't like the artist. You know, like if I, if I don't like if I don't like the art, you, that, yeah. Right. You obviously are well skilled in that. Um, <laughs> that's not an easy piece of mental gymnastics to accomplish. Um, I am learning to do that because I think since that story broke, I don't know. I've probably come across a car suit, a car song randomly, like while I'm driving or or whatever, you know, ten different times, mm-hmm. and have had to think. You know, yeah. like. I couldn't just, you know, bop along merrily in my life and and be transported nostalgically to the happy places and all the rest. I had to do a parallel uh, contemplation and and you know, good for me, I guess, because yeah. that's what awareness is all about, right? Right. Yeah, and there was something. Um, I don't know. I mean, she she was she was sort of saying that she thought the lawyers had put him up to it, but he still signed. But yeah, there was something especially cold uh, about what came out publicly with him not just cutting her out of the will but like also publicly declaring like hey i'm definitely cutting her out of the will and it's and especially since she was caring for him i mean you know she he called it abandonment yes yeah but he's in bed while she's bringing breakfast lunch and dinner in their home and i would say like what lawyer would suggest that that's abandonment like that that would prevail yeah. She didn't have a, another love. She didn't, you know, have another relationship she was going to. Um, it was quite the opposite. So, uh, yeah, it was hard to sort of figure that one out. And you wonder what his mental state was at that time anyway. Maybe all yeah, the way along because uh, he was he was um, crafting their financial setup in a way that Paulina never suspected because she made a metric shit ton of money, right? Right, sure. Um, and they used her money for living. Ha, smart. Oh, right. Wow. So they would uh, every private jet, every chateau in, you know, Kitzbühel, wherever, whatever they were doing, whatever they were uh, consuming, the apartments, the homes was all coming out of her money while his money was in the catalog. So he owned it all. 
And uh, it just felt very weird in marital law, especially in New York, when all assets, even prior to marriage, become um, marital assets. Mm -hmm. It felt very weird that that was something he could do. And I think their litigation is probably playing out pretty well for her uh, because catalog schmatalog, it's called an asset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a house or a McLaren or a catalog, you know, it's worth money. And she, she funded that, that family lifestyle for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Douchey, right? Really douchey. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's especially, I mean, they have kids together, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. It's like to, to the mother, to do to the mother. Yeah. It was. He um, also, he also uh, disinherited another child of his from another marriage. So he had uh, designs on other family members he wanted to screw over as well. Oh, wow. I, mm-hmm. didn't, I hadn't heard that. Not cool. How bitter can you be? You know, I was trying to figure out, like, what is it? Uh, what got into you? You know? Yeah. Um, I watched you also interview Stephen Van Zamp. Oh, he was awesome. He was great. Also, um, I learned something from watching that that I'd never heard. Uh, was that Bruce Springsteen gave himself the boss nickname. Saying that, oh my god, did I miss it? You you asked him how he start how he became the boss, and Stephen Van Zant said it was something that Bruce had been kicking around, sort of tongue in cheek, like calling himself the boss. And then when uh, Stephen Van Zant came over from whatever band he was in, he were, that he was the leader of that band. He, like the two of them were the leaders of the biggest bands on the Jersey Shore. Yeah. And then uh, he said when he came over to Bruce's band, he started calling him the boss too. And that was um, an amazing. I've forgotten that like this. I told you a few minutes ago how incredibly forgetful I am. It's like I've just got too much crap. I have to get into my head every single day. And there's some kind of like, you know, back end loader. Uh, I don't remember that <laughs> it, anecdote, but I, I remember talking to him at length about um, Sin City, you know, mm-hmm. and his, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his ethical stand that he took kind of reminds me of like of Neil Young. You know, he, he was kind of one in a sea and yes. everybody glommed on and said, no, this is hip. I think yeah. I'm going to get beyond that. Yeah. Well, that's, I wanted to ask you about that, too, what your thoughts were. And first off, do you think that um, do you think Joe Rogan should be pulled off Spotify? So, you know, I'm always really mindful about who I indict, cancel and, uh, you know, declare uh, no longer worthy mm-hmm. because that can happen to me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the free market is pretty clever. First of all, Neil Young's from Winnipeg, so he can do no wrong. Let's just end right. it right there. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. And um, but I do think that the wonderful thing about this country is that the First Amendment guarantees what you say will not get you hooded and thrown in a government gulag. That's awesome. The First Amendment, however, does not ensure that you will drive a Maserati. So the free market comes in on that second avenue and tells you what is acceptable and what isn't. So for anybody who stands up there and says, I have a First Amendment, right? Yes, you do. But it comes with costs and consequences right. if you if you dabble on the cliff. So 
I think if Joe Rogan wants to be an instigator, then bring it on. And, the, you know, there's always someone else on the other side of the ring. So deal with it. And whether you get pounded out of the ring, well, you went in the ring. Mm-hmm. That's for you, for yeah. being, you know, innovative. I'm always happy when people push envelopes and get us thinking. I really am. So, no, I, I'm not against uh, what, you know, I'm not against Joe Rogan. I'm not one of those people who pile on and, and want people canceled. I actually don't want people canceled. Right. No. I want, I want people who are questionable to be questioned. Yeah. You want people yeah. talking. You want the conversation, right? Oh. I, I think that's what um, with, with Neil Young pulling his music, I, I'm sure he didn't anticipate that it was going to snowball into what it did. But look yeah. at look at how many. I mean, you got Neil Young and uh, David Crosby on the same page, you know, for the first time probably in thirty right? years. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah, I saw this. Uh, I saw this hilarious meme. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was like the first line was, um, "People in their twenties, who's Neil Young? People in their forties, Neil Young's still alive. People in their sixties, what Spotify?" yeah i i did see that there i mean there's something to that too though because it's the the younger the younger people um they i I keep seeing people saying that this is neil young you know it's it's a bid for relevancy it's definitely not he he, he's he, you for, can't get Neil Young to do an interview. If you want to be relevant, you're grabbing every piece of right, media right. you can. Yeah, that right. dude is so set for life, and he's so comfortable in his skin. And he just gave a big F you to yeah. anybody that he's like, I can. I can say it because I can. Yes. Not because he wants to be relevant. Who said that? <laughs> what irrelevant moron said that? Idiots. I won't name names, but a buddy of mine at Fox. Um no, I'll take. No, that. I've, I've, I've seen. I, I have, I have seen. I think, I, I think sometimes younger people are so, um, you know, people in their twenties are they're so conditioned now because of social media to think that having fame is, you know, having fame just for the sake of being famous is the only thing that matters, and that it's something that if you have, you must desperately cling to. And I, I don't think they realize that there's older generations, especially people who have been famous their whole lives, they don't give a shit. Like, right. it's Neil Young. The last thing they want to do is be famous anymore, to right. a certain extent. Right. Yeah. I think that starts pretty early, right? So um, I've been watching my boys, uh, you know, rating their their number of followers as, you know, valuable mm-hmm. and, and how many followers other people have from the time they were so young. And so we're conditioning our kids to think right off the bat that fame is the only way you'll be judged among your peers. And, and that's just a, a teeny tiny level of fame that has nothing to do with money, right? Yeah. Like they're not looking at their followers for how can I monetize this? They're looking at their followers for how popular am I? That used to be something that was kind of a very small, um, you know, measurement in your class of 25 kids, you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, or your click of five girls, you know. But now it's become so prolific for them that it's kind of the world, the, the, their entire world uh, is gauged by fame, as opposed to fame will make you money for some people, right? right. Like actors and actresses, if you're not going to be famous, you're probably not going to make a ton of money. So they have to, it's a metric they need in order to be successful. But for general life, like if you want to be a realtor, 
You don't need to be famous, you know? Right. But they might think you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, you want to be a banker? You don't need to be famous. You want to be a hedge funder? You want to be a doctor? You don't need to be famous. And, but they, they, they can't even grasp that there's people that wouldn't want to be famous. Correct. Yeah. And I think there's a big chunk of the population who think rationally that, you know, like, oh, I like it, you, who who was it? Bill Murray had that quote. Uh, Bill, I heard Bill Murray interviewed once and he was saying, if you think you want to be rich and famous, start with rich and see if that doesn't check all the boxes for you. That's a Bill Murray yeah. quote if I've ever heard one. That's uh, so awesome. Yeah. But I will, I will say on the fame factor, like my kids are really funny. Uh, a, they can't stand seeing me on television and B, I don't think they believe I'm on television. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have zero interest in, in anything um, that I love in life, which is like, you know, being living out loud and they're like, gross, you know? Um, but they, they think that fame is weird. Because I think they've seen people come up to me and say, oh, I know you and I've seen you on this or I loved it when you did that. And they, they don't understand how strangers could feel like they know me. Um, but at the same time, I've always loved it. Like I've always thought who else in the world gets out of boys for you know, mundane things I do on yeah. a regular basis for my daily job, you know? Mm -hmm. And now I only get that much but I can see getting this much would be real old, real fast, mm -hmm. and also feel you know very encroaching on on a lot of things that you don't want encroached upon. But I I do have to say those who are moderately famous and whine about it, you, you whine about it when you never get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. You see, mm -hmm. they they they're gonna whine about it much harder exactly when it goes away. And yeah. it is it is fleeting and it doesn't matter much. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to for me to remind all the listeners, please follow at rock and roll pod on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and at Ashley Banfield with an yes, L.E.I.T. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, it's it's fu <laughs> it's funny you said that about uh, about your boys not caring that you're on TV because um, so doing doing your show is so cool because it's live television. So I have uh, I have a camera person come to the house and um, I'm I'm doing the show and then you know like my wife and kid are upstairs watching it on TV as I'm down there and uh, but it it airs late so my daughter um, she missed the last appearance and the next morning you know I recorded it I was like hey honey do you do you want to watch Daddy on TV and she goes nah that sounds boring. <laughs> 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 and she's so five glad that you shared that yeah. because that is exactly what I got. <laughs> I don't even ask anymore. I don't even ask. <laughs> oh my God. And also, funny. by the way, mm -hmm. uh, they find me embarrassing. Like that's what you get. It's even worse. Right. Like I think if I were in, uh, a high schooler and my mom, uh, she was a breadwinner in my family. She's a big realtor who did really well. And, um, I was super proud of her and I can't imagine not being proud of like accomplishment. And so it just breaks my heart every time <laughs> these kids are like, do you have to like my Instagram posts? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't know where you are and who you are. 
<laughs> and then they'll say stuff about my instas, right? They'll be like, mom, oh God, the, the coffee maker and you don't have any makeup on. Like, what are you doing? It's so embarrassing. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. And I'm like, who's off, kid? It's my Insta, not yours. Yeah. But, but Their friends see it and, and they get like ashamed and humiliated. But don't you get a little like, hey, what do your friends' parents do that that's so great yeah. that, that you would like, I... My my daughter's five and already completely embarrassed of me, doesn't care about anything that I do. Anything I say I like, she tells me she hates, like Yeah. And she you know, she she has so little interest in what I and I'm trying to explain to her, like, no, daddy actually does some cool shit and and you might you might be into it one day. And she's yeah. just like I've seen, I've seen your friends' dads. Like some of them still, like they got the phones clipped to the belt. Like, what, what do you think they're up to? That's so great. <laughs> I know. I do. I do try to pull that every so often, but that's just logic. And logic for them, it just you know you can you're blue in the face most of the day when you're trying <laughs> to you know rationalize and and speak logic to your kids. But but listen, don't think you're the only one. No. Because Ken, I'm here to tell you, uh, there's a whole community of us out there who can't believe our kids don't think we're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ashley, do you uh, tell us about some of the other big name musicians you've interviewed? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's funny. In news, you don't get to do as much music as you'd like. But I had Alice Cooper on the set with me um, a couple of years ago. And... I had this Alice Cooper um, uh, encounter that was so cool. I was in Hawaii for vacation. um, And my cousin is this amazing um, director, uh, film and television director. She directed Breaking Bad. She was the executive producer of Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. um, uh, The list was on Walking Dead. I mean, she's a big deal. Name is Michelle McLaren. And so I was visiting my cousin uh, and her family in Hawaii. And she said, Oh, I'm going to go to a friend's place for New Year's Eve. Why don't you guys come? I'm like, sounds great. His name's Shep Gordon. And I'm like, <laughs> Shep Gordon? Okay, that's a big name. We're going to Shep Gordon's house. Like, yay. So, and she says to me, and he's like a really big fan of yours, Ashley. Like, Shep loves your work. I'm like, oh, that's great. So we get to Shep's fabulous house in in Maui and we walk in and we're at the front door this is my husband me and um and Michelle and Shep comes up and says hey Michelle oh oh, this is Ashley oh it's great to meet you Ashley I know this is embarrassing he says and I know I shouldn't do this but I've got I have somebody here who's a big fan and wants to meet you is it okay or is that not cool and I'm like oh it's totally fine he brings Alice Cooper over. Oh. What? <laughs> and I'm like, I lost my tongue and I lost my, you know, I, I became five-year-old Ashley. I couldn't believe it. And there's Alice like loading the accolades on me. And I think it was right after Afghanistan. So that was kind of big in the zeitgeist. And, um, and then we just got into this really cool conversation about Alice. And he's such an amazing, guy he's a scratch golfer he's like brilliant he's a news junkie he's just and he told me this great anecdote I'm sure people have heard it before somewhere but um I was pretty gobsmacked by it he I said what made you 
be so, um, you know, like, why did you take such risks at a time when nobody was really doing that? Like when he began his, um, you know, really remarkable sort of costumery and mm-hmm. um, bad guy mm-hmm. uh, performances in, in, in stagecraft, um, the monkeys were still, you know, wearing matching suits and everybody was, you know, <laughs> like, like the, I think the Partridge family was still kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. And he said, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He said, everybody was doing Peter Pan and no one was doing Captain Hook. And he said, I thought Captain Hook would sell. Oh, that's so cool. That's incredible. And that's exactly how he chose the brand and the image that he pursued. And he said, in the minute I did it, it hit. And I knew I I knew I had something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching his episode of when he appeared on The Muppet Show as a kid. It's one of my favorites because it's just, it's pure madness. And that set off the... And that set off the <laughs> lifelong addiction of just, oh, my mom was like, oh, if you like this, check this out. She yeah. proceeds to show me all the discography. I've, I've actually, yeah, I've started listening to him a little bit. It's weird. They're one of those bands that um, I never got into as a kid. But every now and then I would be like, I feel like this is somebody I should be into. And then mm-hmm. I'd go back and listen and still not into it. But um, then I watched that documentary on Shep Gordon, who is mm-hmm. – uh, Alice's manager. I think it's called Supermensch. Yep, it's, Supermensch. Yeah, it's one of the coolest uh, rock documentaries, but it's also it a little heartbreak. Like, it's definitely amazing, but bittersweet. And yeah. then after watching that, I was like, okay, I'd like, let me try again. And, and I went back and started listening. And now, you, you know, it clicked. Um, it clicked. Yeah. It's sometimes, it's sometimes you need a little bit of a back, but that happens with music, right? The, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get. Yeah. I I didn't get Bob Dylan. I I loved when people would cover Bob Dylan, but growing up, I I I would I couldn't listen to a Bob Dylan song beginning to end, and it wasn't until probably my mid thirties that uh, something came on and it just clicked for me, and then everything that I didn't like became stuff that I loved. They didn't like Alice Cooper. I mean, if you're, you know, an Aerosmith fan, ACDC fan, yeah. uh, these are all the same genre. And I love, I mean, school's out. I would mm-hmm. listen to that, you know, that w- one after the other, you know, absolutely loved Alice Cooper. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I always liked metal. And back then that was metal, right? Now yeah. it's pop. <laughs> <laughs> but I particularly loved 80s metal too, when I think, you know, our parents were getting more and more angry because the volumes went up to 11. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I was, your, your assistant sent over a list of your favorite songs and for the most part it was metal and, and ACDC and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. And, um, I was like, if I had to guess what your music taste is, my first, those wouldn't have been my first guesses. Oh, what would you have guessed? I would have guessed you two, Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. But um, but then I was thinking about like, oh, like you you were you were a war zone journalist, you know, like you're you're in Afghanistan interviewing Arafat and uh that that like when I started thinking about it that way, I was like, well, you know, that was you had a pretty aggressive job. Um, so yeah. that, that clicked for me. That made, that made sense when I thought about it. Yeah. Cause you have to be kind of buttoned up in television and I'll be frank. Like 
I'm kind of old. I'm 54. So um, I've been at this, like I said, for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And 34 years ago, you had to be super buttoned up if you were a woman. Like, yes. forget about it. You would not mention that you sang in a band. You would not. And in fact, the GM of the Dallas station was really angry that I was singing in a band on the weekends. Like, fuck off, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, now I think, you know, we have a lot more latitude to to show who we are and be who we are. And there was there was a little gene that went kind of sideways on me. I think early on, my sister is like all by the book. I'll, we call her Miss Red Book because she's just so <laughs> Miss Picnic. She was Miss Picnic and Miss Red Book. She still is. Um, she's my older sister by five years, and she was just maddened at the fact that I would always, you know, break the rules and do things, you know, louder and unacceptably. And and I just kind of had that 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 edge, you know. And I think it showed up in my music tastes as well. That's not to say that I only, you know, liked um, 80s metal. There right. I was, like I said, listening to the Mills Brothers, you know, pretty regular. Pete Fountain. I mean, I'm a big Pete Fountain fan, too. And that's a really weird combo, you know. I think if you're musical, you're musical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, Chip, you got any questions? You know, I do have a question. I, I feel like because, it, because I'm... Ken and I are always, of course, like always looking for new bands or going back catalog to find something. And there's one band that every time I hear them, I enjoy them, but I've never gotten into them. And I feel like it is a very Canadian thing. So I, I, I would love uh, somebody from the homeland to give me a pitch. If you're, you might not be a fan, but could you explain to me the Tragically Hip? Are you a Tragically oh. Hip fan? Because I know oh. every time I hear them, I like them, and I just never. I, that's that's response I always hear. Anybody from Canada, it's the greatest thing in the world, and I've always liked them, but I've never really delved into it too much. Could you give us a thirty-second commercial about introduce us to the tragically hip? No, no, thirty seconds. You oh, got go an ahead. hour. The the, the floor is yours. Podcast, yeah. The floor is yours. So uh, let me give you a, a, a the, the thirty-second. Uh, thing is that they're U2 um, yeah. Canada. So okay. they're the biggest effing deal ever. Um, and every one of their songs is a huge hit. And I could never figure out why the US didn't get, you know, grab them with Alanis and everybody else um, at that era. But and every I time I hear them, they're great. They're they're great. Every time I hear yeah. a song, there's like, but then I, I never take the time to really delve in then. Yeah. Oh, uh, ahead of the century, just just Google that and listen to it after this podcast. Okay. Of okay. Oh, dear. Um, so I have a personal connection to them because we all went to Queens University. They're from Kingston, Ontario, where my college is. Gord Downey was lead singer who tragically died of brain cancer a mm -hmm. couple of years ago, just broke the hearts of Canada. It was like breaking national news live. Oh, yeah. He was dying. Yeah. It was awful. Uh, he dated my girlfriend and... Um, and I bought his bed off of him when he was graduating and I needed to get some furniture for my house at, at, at oh, college. Wow. Um, so, and I used to go down to Alfie's, which was the underground pub on campus and the hip would be playing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I had this, you know, really super personal. And if you tell a Canadian this story, they'll be like, get out. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's like being asked on the Joshua tree to come backstage, you know, like, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a big, big, uh, tragically hip fan. And I, you know, unless I dig it out of a playlist or put on a, a, a disc or what, you know, that's stupid, but, um, I don't get exposed to it as much as I'd like to. And then I go and I visit my brother or my sister or my other brother in Winnipeg. And all of a sudden, oh, there's that music, you know, there it's playing regularly in their worlds, you know, Did nothing of theirs popped off in the U S 
Nothing. No, not like the bare naked ladies. No, I mean bare naked ladies were huge here. Yeah. I have another anecdote with look, not all Canadians know each other, but <laughs> 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 I'm in Dallas, Texas on a morning show. I hear bare naked ladies are coming to town. I'm like getting tickets for that and uh grabbed some of my friends and you're coming to see the bare naked ladies. And they were playing in a bar. Like that's just not something you would see in Canada, right? They're in arenas or stadium right. in Canada. So we go and I walk up the stage. I'm like, you know, and they're like, and then, and then I said, we're going to go back to my place. A bunch of us and party on the roof after where the pool is. You guys want to come? Like, yeah. (laughs) All come to my condo after the uh, show and there's a pool on the roof. And I said, okay, well uh, you can come in to my place. Like my condo now to everybody can get changed and everything. So I come out of my bathroom and I'm looking around and they're gone, but I can hear all this giggling and I'm like, what's going on? And I had a one room giant loft in a warehouse, right? And way over in the corner is my bed and all of them are in my bed with the covers pulled up. To here, <laughs> and I get a picture of it. This is for camera phones. So the fact that I had a camera, you know, around was just the best. Got the picture. It was on my fridge forever. And people would like, is that a bare naked ladies in your bed? <laughs> I lost the picture. No, oh, no. You have no idea. I, I think it's going to show up somewhere in my attic of my, you know, a hundred years of living. But um, when I moved to New York and I had to downsize a lot of stuff to get into a teeny tiny apartment, I then realized like, where is that picture? Oh my God. Where are all the pictures that were on my fridge that I had, you know, uh, but that, so yeah, I have these like little connections to these Canadian superstars. So you're saying that at some point, every uh, Canadian rock star has slept in one of your beds, is what you're, you're saying? About, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at one point. Gord <laughs> Downey, the bare naked ladies. I would like to stay with me, but. Yeah. No, but just, you know, just at, at some point is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. At some point. Yeah. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Probably a silly question I would have for you is is uh, has because of the work you do, ha- is there any song that's changed in how you feel about it or any oh. particular oh. M- music or anything that you've heard? Yes, that has changed because of the way you work. What an amazing question that is because you have no idea what's coming, um, and there would be no way to ask the question to get this anecdote, but it haunts me to this day. So again, it's a tragically hit. Uh, there's no sequitur between what we were just talking about and this, but mm-hmm. so the tragically have had, has, you know, lots of really awesome hits. And one of their hits is called little bones and it is such a great song. And back in the early nineties, there was this terrible crime that was committed up in Canada that Americans only heard about because Canadians were banned from hearing about it during that case, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. They were a husband and wife. They're often known as the Ken and Barbie murderers. They were young, uh, in their late 20s. Uh, she was veterinarian assistant. I can't remember what he did, but they were wealthy. They had a nice, they had a carriage with a wedding, you know, the whole bit. And they were abducting um, young girls in their early teens, like 13, 15, and um, raping them repeatedly on video for days and days on oh end and then murdering them. And Jeez. one of them, they cut into 10 pieces <clears throat> through in a lake. Um, Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. I mean, I remember these things like they were yesterday. And they were caught and she um, 
Carla said I was abused. Um, that's why I did this. And they also murdered Carla's own sister after raping her on video. Oh my God. It was a horrendous story. I am telling you, one of yeah. the most horrendous things I've ever covered. They both were imprisoned. Uh, Carla got a deal because she, you know, testified against her husband. And uh, the only reason they gave her a deal was because they didn't have the tapes. And right after they signed the deal, pop, pop through the ceiling, down fell all the tapes. And they never needed the deal, but they'd already signed it. Uh, so she got out after 12 years. Uh, but there she is on tape also raping her sister. Who's uh, been drugged. Yes. And then she died. So the reason I bring up this anecdote was because on those tapes was the repeated uh, rape and torture of one of the girls. And she was in a bathtub um, while they were doing these terrible things to her. And they were playing Little Bones by oh, the geez. Tragically Hits. Uh, when I covered that day of the trial, I couldn't stop crying. Um, look, I, I cried a lot in what I do, not uh, not as much as you would think, but certain things really set me off. And that was one that set me off. So to this day, if Little Bones is playing, I have to turn it off. Oh. Wow. And it was one of my favorite songs, you know? But yeah, I, I wow. transferred right back to that image. And that, not the image, listen, the image was described. It wasn't played in court, it was only played for the jury that no one else saw these rapes, you know, because right. obvious. Sure. But that song invokes a really horrendous uh, 25 year, 27 year old um, memory for me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, what a terrible story. Right. I mean, profound and, and fascinating and awful. All at the same thing, you know, all at the same time. Yeah, because it, it almost feels like it should be like a now here's Ken Krantz with some comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and now here's Ken Krantz with some comedy. <laughs> right. I know. I know. All right, Ashley, I know that you got to get going, um, but thank you so much for coming on. I, I hope you had fun. And everybody- I had so much fun. And I would love to do this again, because anytime I get a chance to talk about music, it's like, wow, another part of my life I never get to actually explore. Yeah, we, we'd love to have you can come back on and tell us uh, about sharing a bunk bed with Getty Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Another one of the greatest bands of all time, honestly. Rush. Oh God. And every Canadian will tell you that. I know, I know. But he I mean, really. They were they were um I don't I can't remember if they were my first concert, but they were my first concert that I was allowed to go to on my own with with oh. my friends for the uh what was it? The the Roll the Bones tour, I think. Was Neil Pert the, always your favorite drummer? He uh as a kid, yeah. Yeah, um, I, he was amazing. But then growing up, the the more I learned about Keith Moon, uh, oh. Keith Moon just became, I think, my favorite character in in all of rock. But yeah, I mean, Dang. who who was better than Neil Peart? And and I have to say, I I don't usually share things too much and or get too excited by anything I see anymore. But somebody, I think it was just yesterday shared a video with me that I sent to my brother who's a drummer and he just loved it. It's just a video that somebody cut together of Peanuts cartoons. So it's the Peanuts gang singing subdivisions and it's the entire thing. <laughs> and so it just starts out with with Schroeder on, on the piano and it's the Peanuts. I'm, gonna, I'm put it, Actually, I just pulled it up. I'm putting it in the chat right now, the link to, to the YouTube video. And it's just, it's but it's just pure joy. It's just it's one of those things where you just don't see anything just so joyful anymore. I'm like, I love this so much that it's it's the Peanuts gang doing uh, subdivisions that they just it's a super cut of them. Do, and it's I have so just, I just shared it with everybody it. right now. Oh, my God. Oh, that sounds gone. amazing. And I'm also I'm t pasting it into my team chat with my show team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right, Ashley, where, where can people find you? At Ashley Banfield on Insta and uh, Facebook and TV Ashley on Twitter. And then my show is on News Nation every night at 10 Eastern. Well, I say every night, Monday to Friday on News right. Nation at 10 Eastern. And you know what? Check out News Nation, not just because I work there, but also because finally it's unbiased news. Yes, it, news which is amazing. It, yes. it actually is. Um, I have a I have a strict policy. I only watch uh, I only watch uh, news stations that put me on. So I <laughs> I watch a lot of News Nation. It's funny when I tell people I'm doing it, and then I say, "Oh, it's, it's News Nation." They they always think I mean News Max, and then oh, I, God, I no, get yeah, I get, I get I get I get strange looks. But yeah, it, it really it really is if if you're uh, if you're like me and you bounce between Fox and CNN, News Nation is just straight journalism with, without without the opinions. You get it's, both it's sides, like, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. always, always another side, no matter how much NBC right. and MSNBC and Fox want you to think otherwise. There is always another side to the story that makes it a little less like what? Yeah. Outrageous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's very, very appreciated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thanks for hope- having me, you guys. This was so fun. I'm just, I'm so appreciative of your musical acumen and your uh, clearly your amazing skills in comedy. <laughs> and I'm gonna go <laughs> listen to Tragically Hip right now. I'm so excited to listen to that music. Yeah, I'm, yes, I'm, I am too. too. I'm, I'm actually I Tragically Hip uh, already lined up. As soon on as my, I get in the car, I'm gonna check. Start with Ahead of the Century, and then go back to New Orleans is sinking and everything else. You'll just love it. Okay. Okay. All right, guys, take care. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. Chip, you got anything you want to plug? Just at Chip Chantry on Twitter and Instagram. April 1st, I'm doing a show in Philly. For any Philly people, uh, I'm doing a show at the Crossroads Comedy Theater, which is actually held at Theater Exile in South Philly. It's uh, the Chip Chantry Farewell Tour, and it will be on April Friday, April 1st. So I'm very excited about it. That's what I'm calling it. It's only one night and it's not necessarily my last show ever, but I am calling it the farewell Scared tour. The hell so out of me there, I, just, dude. I just saw yeah. a comic put up a flyer today of her tour, and it was like four one nighters. Like it was it was like a total of four shows. Right. And you don't even know that she's headlining them. Like they they could be feature dates. Exactly. Or she might just have tickets to the, to the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was her, her tour flyer. No, that's so, yeah. So that, and I love when, I, well, I love when Cher and whoever, you know, do, do their farewell tour. So I was like, it's one night, I'm doing an hour and I may, I may record it actually. I'm not sure yet, but um, yeah, but it's the, uh, the farewell tour. How about you, Ken? Um, you could come see me uh, in Atlantic City on March 19th with, uh, Mike Sicoli, who's been on here before, uh, at the Celebrity Theater at the Claridge Hotel, I nice. believe, Atlantic City Comedy Club. Nice. Um, March 26th, I am at uh, the Count Basie Theater right here in Red Bank with uh, Chris Covert. Oh, that's great. Friend so, of the show. Friend of the show. So, uh, and that's it. Follow us at Rock and Roll Pod. And have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Mm